Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Thursday, April 29th. It was a ho-hummer of a day across the professional tennis world. Now, on today's podcast, I'm going to focus on the ATP 250 event in particular happening in Estoril in Munich. I also want to talk a little bit about some of the challenger action that happened on Wednesday. Of course, if you want to hear a deep dive on all of this week's challenger action, tune on over to the Great Shot Podcast. David Gertler joined me on Wednesday to recap all of this week's action to date and talk about what we expect to unfold for the rest of the week. Of course, we also have a WTA 1000 level event starting on Thursday. The action in Madrid promising to deliver some fun tennis. I want to talk about some of my favorite matchups scheduled to play on Thursday. Of course, the reason I'm able to do this day in, day out here on the Mini Break Podcast is because of the support we get from all of you listeners, from our Cracked Rackets Patreon family, and of course, from our friends at Midwest Sports. Go to MidwestSports.com if you need to update your equipment. You can find the best gear at the best prices. If you use our promo code CR15, you'll get 15% off your order free. Two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. MidwestSports.com. The promo code is CR15. With that in mind, let's get right into it because it was a very very fun day of tennis, in particular for you Cracked Rackets fans. I know so many of you who follow the college tennis world closely, uh, as well as the pro tennis world, are going to enjoy some of the results we saw unfold on Wednesday. We'll start in Estoril. Unfortunately, a former NCAA men's tennis great came up a little bit short in his quest to reach the first ATP-level quarterfinal in his career, but Did Nuno Borges deliver the goods this week in Portugal? The answer to that question is a resounding yes. Comes through qualifying, gets wins over two of the top players on the Challenger Tour this year in Liam Brody and Roberto Carbeas Benia. He then gets a straight set win over Jordan Thompson. Goes down 5-2 in his first set against number 6 seed Marin Cilic today. Ends up roaring back to take a 7-6 decision. Then came the pouring rain. There was a delay in the action. Unfortunately, it was Marin Cilic who came out the stronger of the two players in the end. He earned a 6-7, 6-4, 6-4 victory to reach a much-needed ATP-level quarterfinal. But I want to talk about Nuno's performance here, not only in this match, but this week in general. It was inspired tennis from the 24-year-old who, of course, was playing on home soil in Portugal, the former Mississippi State All-American 2019 NCAA men's singles finalist, just displayed the sort of upside we've talked about when talking about his game throughout the years here at Cracked Rackets. His serve, his forehand, 
I don't know if they're quite ATP level on a continuous shot in, shot out, shot out basis, but they absolutely can be. And certainly for the duration of this event in Estoril, they were. And you look for him today against Marin Cilic. What were the things he was able to uh, do uh, with uh, have effect when doing? Uh, in particular, he made a ton of first serves in the court, and that was always going to be key for him because with Cilic's size, with the power he can put when he leans into his shot, Take those takes those returns early, he can do a lot of dictating on the court, and Nuno didn't allow him to do that in Nuno's service games. He made 71% of his first serves, won 65% of his first serve points, 59% of his second serve points, fought off 10 of the 13 break points he faced on the day, and just did a really good job of using his first strike to take control of the point. Even if that first strike forehand wasn't a winner, it was to the open court to get Chilich stretched, or if he caught Chilich cheating over, he'd hit behind him as well. Did a really good job of moving around uh, his first shot and just, you know, again, you watch his forehand, how dynamic that ball is. Ball explodes off of his racket. Is it, you know, in the Surindolo model of a guy whose ball just rips through the court? No, it's not quite that explosive, but there's so much action. It's a heavy shot, and certainly he gets great depth on the ball the majority of the time as well, though sometimes, certainly when Chilich was able to jam him with pace, Nuno would leave a ball short. That's when uh, Marin Chilich was able to attack. It's not just a serve in forehand, though. Nuno does such a good job of taking that backhand early. It's definitely the flatter of his two ground strokes, but on his return of serve in particular, because he does have such a compact backhand, he's able to take that return of serve early and again did a pretty good job, particularly in the back half of that first set. And honestly, throughout this match, it was a competitive games back and forth. Nuno was only able to get one break of serve on six break point chances, but just did a good job of getting that point back to neutral. And against Thompson, Carbeas, Bainey, and Brody, who don't have, <clears throat> excuse me, as big of a weapon of a first serve as Marin Cilic, Anuno did a great job of neutralizing their serves, getting the point back to even. Unfortunately for him today, wasn't able to do that with enough frequency for Marin Cilic. He goes 44-58, a 76% conversion rate on first serves. He's 26-43, of 43, 60% on second serves. I mentioned the fact Cilic fights off five of the six break points he faced on the day. That 5-2 lead uh, he built in the first set was only a one-break lead for Chilich, but again, you got to give credit to Nuno Borges, who throughout the week showed that at a minimum, he belongs competing at the challenger level, and of course, for two weeks, for him two weeks ago, he reached his first ATP challenger level final, now gets his first ATP level main draw victory with his results over these past few weeks. The 24-year-old is now into the top 300 for the first time in his career, currently sitting at number 300 in the live rankings. And considering he played four full years of college tennis, considering that his first full season, which would have been the 2020 season, was wiped away by the pandemic, he's pretty well positioned in his first nine full months of tour play. You look now, he's what, 45 and 12 over that time span, a couple of ITF titles, that first challenger final. He's done it on hard courts. He's done it on clay. You know, the question for Nuno is certainly going to be his athleticism because we saw today when Chilch was able to hit the big serve and then the big first strike. Nuno can get stretched in 
His hands are excellent. When he makes contact with the ball, something special is going to happen. But his athleticism has always been the biggest question mark. And, you know, again, that that's a net good thing for him because athleticism is something every player can improve. And as he continues to grow into his body, as he continues to dedicate himself to his craft, you know, you hear stories about Nuno when he was a freshman and how he would lose every sprint. And even when he was a senior, although at that point it's a little bit different why he's losing every sprint. Uh, he's a guy who's just, he's got a lot of, I still think, athleticism still to tap. Uh, and that's a really good thing because the forehand, the backhand, his court senses in general, they belong at the ATP level. And certainly you look, or they belong at the challenger level. They certainly belong on the professional tour. And I think he's only going to continue to go up. I think he's undervalued at that number 300 spot in the rankings. You look right now via tennis abstracts, ELO rating, Nuno Borges currently, let's see, come on. He's not in the top 291. Really? He's not a top 291 ELO rating player. I'm going to have to text uh, Jeff uh, Sackman and say that I disagree with the ELO ratings. Let's see if he's a yearly ELO rating. That one goes to 203. Okay, so he's not on the ELO ratings yet, but in my book, he belongs there because 46 and 11, he's having success at every level he plays. Uh, I think he's going to enter the top 200 by the end of this season. I'm not saying he's going to be a top 50, top 10 guy in the world immediately. I'm just saying keep your eyes on Nuno Borges because he is underranked and undervalued at number 300 in the world, and he is going to win. I think a lot of matches this season at both the futures level, the challengers level, you know, whatever level of tennis he is competing at because throughout his career, the guy has proven he is a winner. But again, you know, that's a lot of talk on Nuno Borges, not even talking about the fact that Marin Cilic gets a much needed victory. I mentioned the fact for Cilic, it is his first quarterfinal, let's see, since Singapore back in February, but you look for him overall. Now, over his last 52 weeks, here with the wins over Alcaraz and Nuno Borges, he's up to 13 and 14 now. Uh, but more, you know, more specifically, he really has steadied the ship of late. Makes the round of 16 in Miami. It was a three-set loss to him for him to Gofen in Monte Carlo before now the wins over Alcaraz and Nuno in three sets. Again, he's scrapping by, and I talked about this. Uh, yesterday, I believe, on the Ace of the Day podcast by percentages, his first serve make percentage, his first serve points one, second serve points one, his hold percentage, his break percentage, all down by about 5% from his career averages. But he has started to regain his form. And again, his serve was effective today. He fought off and uh, successfully five of the six break points he faced. He did enough to win. He made enough first balls, played attacking tennis throughout, didn't you know waver after blowing that first set lead. He earns the victory and again now has a very fun quarterfinal matchup against Kevin Anderson, who was a straight set winner himself. 6-3-7-6 over Roberto Carbeas Bania. It was a good win for Anderson. He was up, served for the match, 6-3-5-4. Carbeas Bania able to break him, fight off three match points, was then, I believe, you know, four all in or four three in the tiebreaker. Carbeas Bania, uh, or Anderson was leading when Carbeas, uh, when Anderson was able to get the mini break. There it is on Carbeas Bania's serve. Uh, he then was able to serve it out. Really nice point five four in the breaker. It was like a 20 25 ball rally that ended uh, with a net cord that went Anderson's way. Carbeas Bania was able to barely track it down, but then Anderson just had to hit to the open court. But look, I mean, Kevin Anderson. 
He's still six foot six, six foot seven. That serve hasn't gone anywhere. He's still, when he's holding serve with success, can you know be aggressive with his ground strokes. And he's not just a serve bot. He is a guy who is able to hit through the court. That forehand is absolutely a weapon. Ditto when he's leaning into his backhand confidently, and he's starting to look more and more confident. It was a three set win. Tiafo served for the match uh, in the first round. He gets through that now. Looks better here. Takes advantage of the softer draw in. Luck. Lucky loser, Roberto Carabeas Benia. Now look, Chilich is another monster. Chilich has a sort of pace with his first strike that we'll see how physically ready Anderson is for that quarterfinal match. But, you know, when Anderson's making first serves, playing first strike, he can take it to any opponent. He imposes his will. His matches are on his terms. And on the ATP Tour, that's all you can ask, that the match is decided on your racket. This one certainly was great victory for Kevin Anderson, 6-3-7-6 to advance to the quarterfinals. Your two other victors on the day, two next-geners, Alejandro Davidovich Fokina, fantastic 6-1-6-2 victory over Jeremy Shardy. And look, it wasn't Shardy's best day at the office, and he got pushed in a physical three-set match a couple days ago against Haumi Munar, was struggling to find the court, find his range on the forehand, and of course his forehand is the side that he does the majority of his dictating on. And again, I addressed this match at length in yesterday's GSP Ace of the Day as well. It was a good day for the Aces of the Day, 2-1. and one. Uh, We hit the over two-and-a-half sets in Nuno Chilich. We hit a Davidovich-Rude parlay as well. John Millman lost his first set against. Guillermo, uh, or against Guillermo, yeah, Guillermo Correa, I think that's who he played on the day, uh, but ultimately was coming back in that match. Was it Correa? No, it was Guido Pea, excuse me, against Guido Pea. I knew that's why I was like, Federico, yeah, it was Guido Pea. And he lost the first set 6-4, was up to love before Pei unfortunately had to retire due to injury. That was the only ace of the day loss on the day. But Davidovich Fokina, 6-1, 6-2 victory over Shardy. And you look for Davidovich Fokina now inside the top 50 uh, in the live rankings with his results here this week. He is up to a new career high of number 48. And, you know, he wins another match here next week. He'll get up to an even higher, or excuse me, he'll actually stay at number 48 behind Kasmenovic. There's a nice little gap between him and Kasmanovich. I suppose if he won this week, he'd get up to number 43 in the rankings, which would also be a new career high. But you look for him today against Shardy. You know, when a guy you're playing doesn't have it, just make a high percentage of your shots. And that's what he did. Made 70% of his first serves, won 70% of those points, 77% of his second serve points. Was only broken once in the match, but it was when he was up 6-1, 4-1, and he immediately got that broke uh, that break back and then served the match out. And you know, this one was done in under an hour, and, you know, he just got first balls deep in the court, and Shardy provided him errors. That's all you can ask for Davidovich Fokina, but, you know, now he's 28-16, and 16, and you look for him, it's happening across surfaces. His game, his athleticism, I made this comment on the ace of the day, I'll say it again now, he's everything American men's tennis fans want Tommy Paul to be. That athleticism, you know, his well-rounded game style, he can grind from the baseline, he can be aggressive from the game, uh, from the baseline, he's got creative creativity to go short angle, to go big down the line, to move forward, to play the drop shots, can do a little bit of everything. Now, what is plan A for Alejandro 
Alexander Davidovich Fokina, what is the single thing he does best that's going to win him a ton of matches? I don't know yet, but I know he can do a lot of things. I know he can turn defense into offense. I know he can take the things you want to do away from you, and he's a very nice read and response, very, again, as fluid as you're going to find in terms of his athleticism and his movement around the court. In 28 and 16, that's a 64% win percentage. When you're winning, 60% of your matches at the ATP level, you're going to rise up the rankings. And that's exactly what we're seeing from the 21-year-old who, again, now into the quarterfinals, made quarterfinals in Monte Carlo just uh, two weeks ago, made quarterfinals in Montpellier early in the season as well. This is all, by the way, keeping in mind that he tested positive for COVID earlier in the season, and he has bounced back so, so well, which is very, very encouraging to see. Uh, He's playing the best tennis of his career, going to continue to rise out the rankings. He's going to beat someone special here in this clay court season. Uh, He's going to have a really fun match in his quarterfinal now as he is going to take on Ugo Umber, who earns a 6-4, 3-6, 6-3 win over Marco Cecinato ends a two-match skid, and he had lost three and four as well. And you look for him in, on the clay courts in particular. Uh, it's kind of surprising to learn that through his career, the 22-year-old Ugo Umber has not played many, you know, still played barely 50 matches in his career on clay, and he's now 25 and 27 in his career across levels on the surface. Now, you know, again, he's been a lot better of uh, better of late. If you remove the 2017 season, and in 2017 he was, what, 19 years old. So if you go 2018 on clay, he was 8-3, and 2019 2-6, but those matches all came were uh, his early matches on the ATP level. He then goes four and three last season, made round of 16 in Rome, wins over Anderson and Fodini. He makes quarterfinals in Hamburg, wins over Medvedev and Vesely before being knocked out by Kasparud. And then, you know, he lost an unexpected first round match to Mark Pullman's last year at Roland Garros. You look for him now. He was just effective against Marco Cecinato. I believe there were only what I think, uh, like five breaks of serve in total in the match. And for Ugo Mbert, he made 69% of his first serves, won 77% of his first serve points, won 58% of his second serve points, did a really good job of getting that first serve to the Chechenato backhand. And of course, a lefty to a one-handed backhand that Chechenato has. You're always going to like that matchup. Was able to, with that serve, then be able to run around and hit first ball forehands and also did a great job keeping Chechenato honest by playing his uh, you know left-handed backhand down the line to the Chechenato one-hander and just you know again Chechenato round of 64 round of 32 very much in the cards for him at the French Open depending on how the draw breaks down and his forehand rips through these courts and he's so comfortable moving on the clay. He's a former French Open semifinalist. If you follow tennis closely, that the fact that Marco Cecinato is good on clay is not news to you, but Umber did a good job of hitting through that. Umber did a good job of staying focused, of maintaining his aggression while also ensuring that he wasn't providing free points to Cecinato throughout the course of this match. And again, Good bounce back for him. He was an underdog according to odds makers. 6-4-3-6-6-3 victory. He advances to the quarterfinals. And that sets up what should be a very fun uh 
first half of quarterfinals in Munich. Again, it's going to be Anderson versus Chilich, Umber versus Davidovich, Fokina, of course, tomorrow in Munich. We've got the second half of the round of 16, and it should be a bunch of fun matches of across the board. You've got number one seed Denis Shapovalov kicking off his campaign against fellow lefty, youngster Frenchman Quarantine Moutet, the battle of the rap stars. We've seen that ripping across tennis Twitter today. They wrote a track together. I believe that's the Drip Drip song, right? Came through Drip Drip. Um, sorry, that was... Anyways, um, for Denis Shapovalov, he's, you know, he has the power advantage. Mute is going to track down a lot of things Shapovalov throws at him, and he's going to throw junk at Shapovalov, slice and drop shots just to try and break Shapovalov's rhythm. But Shapovalov's got the power advantage, and of course, if you give Shapovalov time, he's a good enough athlete. He's going to make you pay. So that should be a fun matchup. Christian Guerin, uh, he takes on Richard Gasquet, you know, again, Garen, his heavy forehand into that one-handed backhand of Gasquet, that's going to lead for some fun, uh, to some fun tennis. Herbert versus Ramos Vinolas, excellent contrast of styles. And then Pedro Martinez-Portero, the qualifier, taking on Cam Norrie. That match, I promise, is going to get physical. I would guess that one goes three if I was a betting man, folks. But, again, that's the action in, uh, excuse me, did I say in Munich? That's the action in Estoril. Excuse me, it was a wonderful day in Estoril. I know I definitely said Munich earlier. It was a wonderful day in Estoril, and it promises to be another one here tomorrow. Uh, as well. Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Speaking of Munich, though, let's move on to our other ATP 250 on the week. We had our top two seeds in action on Wednesday in the round of 16 matches, both of them advancing in straight sets. For number one seed Alexander Zverev, 6-2, 6-4 win over lucky loser Ricardis Barankas. He raced out to a three-love double break lead, never looked back, looked awfully comfortable on the surface. And again, regardless of what you think of him personally, from a tennis standpoint, if they're going to let him play the events, he can win almost any event he enters. But if it's a clay court event, you know who else can win any event he enters? Casper Root, number two seed, really, really impressive 6-3, 6-2 win over Pablo Cuevas. And look, Cuevas is a guy who's most comfortable on the dirt. That big forehand, more time for him to swing through his one-handed backhand. Uh, he, you know, has his highest win percentage of his career comes on clay courts. And, you know, he has an awfully effective game on clay. But Rude exposed everything you need to expose when you're playing a guy like Cuevas. He got the ball deep with pace into that backhand corner. He kept Cuevas honest whenever Cuevas would try to cheat over on that side by going down the line with his backhand or playing his inside-in forehand, and his inside-in forehand is a weapon. That ball rips 
through a clay courts. I've said it before, the best comparison to me for Casper Ruud on clay is Rafael Nadal. He's the right-handed version. I'm not saying he's as effective. There are things Rafa does, his discipline, and then again, the fact that Rafa is a lefty, that he comes at you in an unorthodox way than most players are accustomed to. That's part of what makes Rafa Rafa, but it's a very similar style and effect for Casper Ruud on clay. He's so disciplined going inside out, inside out, inside in with his forehand, does such a good job of getting depth on his backhand, and you watch him swing through that backhand. It's very reminiscent of Nadal. You can see whenever he tries to really dip under the shot and elevate that ball for additional depth on his ground stroke. You can just see him try to manufacture the topspin every time he hits through that shot, and then you can tell with his body positioning when he's going to try and rip cross court or when he's ripping down the line, and I just think Casper Ruud is damn good, and we've talked about it before via Tennis Abstract's Clay Court ELO ratings right now. Casper Ruud uh, currently number 10 behind Christian Guerin. You look for him in yearly ELO rating. Casper Ruud with his 9-3 and record entering the week. The number 13 player via Tennis Abstract's yearly ELO. Now you want to look over all ELO for Casper Ruud. He is currently sitting at number 18, which I believe is higher than his current ranking of number 24. Four, and you look for him here now over his last 52 weeks. He's 22 and 12 in clay court results. He's made semifinals of Rome, semifinals of Hamburg, semifinals of Monte Carlo. His loss last year at Roland Garros in the third round, of course, came to Dominic Team. He's the real deal, folks, and it's not just on clay courts, but since we're talking clay court tennis for the next month and a half, uh, look out for Casper Ruud. I've said it before. I'll say it again. If he makes the quarterfinals, maybe semifinals is probably a stretch, but if he makes the quarterfinals of the French Open, it really shouldn't shock anyone. He's that good on the dirt. He looked that good today. 6-3-6-2 win for him over Pablo Cuevas. Your two other results, I mentioned it a little bit earlier. John Millman did beat Guido Pea for 6-2 love retirement for Pea. It, it unfortunate, and, you know, obviously he's a guy who looks forward to the clay court portion of the year as much as anyone just wasn't able to continue the match. And of course, we wish him a speedy recovery. Hope it's not too serious. Your only three-set match of the day came from qualifier Ilya Avashka, who continues his excellent form here uh, at in the clay court season. Gets a 6-7-6-1-6-2 win over Mackie McDonald. Then look, for Mackie, net positive run. Gets the straight set win over Deuce. Could have won this match against Avashka. But Avashka now, quietly... One of the hottest players on tour, the 27-year-old, currently ranked number 107 in the world, 29-12 and 12 in his last 52 weeks during that stretch of time. He has made a couple of challenger finals in Istanbul and Ordesai, uh, and he won both of those challengers. Now, both of those were hardcourt events, but you look for him here on clay to start the year. Quarterfinals in Marbella beat Gianluca Maget before getting knocked out by Alcaraz, made semifinals in Monte Carlo, uh, or excuse me, that was the run of Casper Ruud. That's called looking at the wrong tab, folks. Westoff lead it in, but he did make the quarterfinals of Marbella. There we go. Beat Pedro Martinez Portero and Alejandro Davidovich Fokina before losing in uh, three sets to Haumi Munar. In Barcelona, he came through qualifying, beat Cressy Gale and Greek Spore before being knocked out in three by Rafa Nadal. And here, you know, he's beaten Matrasek, 
Barankis, Rusevori, now Mackie McDonald. Uh, his challenger success has translated here to the ATP Tour. 29 and 12 is nothing to scoff at, folks. If you're winning 70% of your matches, you're doing something right. The 27-year-old is doing something right. And again, it's not Aslan Karatsev where the 27-year-old's going from outside the top 150 to inside the top 20 and beating Djokovic uh, at events. But you look for Avashka, clearly, in my opinion, playing some of the best tennis of his career, back up to number 101 with his result here this week. One more win would put him at number 92 in the live rankings back inside the top 100, feeling comfortable to get into main draws at both the French Open and Wimbledon. And once you can do that as a professional player, you get even one win there uh, at one of those slams. Doors begin to open for you. So again, great result from Ivashka. I'm feeling really good about Mackie McDonald. At the beginning of the season, one of my bold takes is that he was going to re-enter the top 100. He's up to number 120 right now. All signs pointing upwards as well. Fun day of tennis in terms of your first half of the round of 16 in Munich. Now, the good news is the round of 16 continues tomorrow. We have four more exciting matches. You look across the board. Federico Correa is going to be playing. That's why I mixed up the names against Norbert Gombos. You've also got number five seed Nicolas Basilashvili taking on qualifier Daniel Elahit Galan. I would argue Galan might be the favorite in that match. Of course, you've also got... Kopfer versus Jan Leonard Struff and Yannick Hanifman taking on number four seed Philip Krajinovic. Both Hanifman and Krajinovic has shown excellent form of late, and you look overall in tennis abstracts, clay court, elo ratings, Krajinovic sneaky high in terms of where he is at. He is currently number 14 on the list. Yannick Hanifman, though, not too much lower. He's sitting at number 33 in tennis abstracts, clay court, elo ratings. Now, Hanifman number 95 overall in elo Elo, but number 33 on clay court. Uh, in clay court, Elo speaks to you know some of the results he has. He has had of late on the dirt. The final he made at the ATP level last year. Success he's had on the Challenger circuit as well. I think that match is going to be really exciting. I think Hanifman's got the sort of weapons on clay that can hang with anyone. So that is a match I will certainly be circling and certainly be looking forward to unfold early here uh, on Thursday morning, of course. Again, the ATP 250 in Munich, not your only other ATP action happening this week. We've got three challenger events going on, and David Gertler and I did a big breakdown on Wednesday's Great Shot podcast, so I'll try and you know go through these fairly quickly before we preview the WTA action in Madrid. In terms of what we saw in Ostrava, Fun matchup for us college tennis fans, Arthur Rinderneck, former All-American for Texas A&M, and number four seed here this week, takes out Braden Schnur, 7-5-6-4. You look for Rinderneck now, who is currently sitting at number 129, which is two off of his career high of number 127, and actually with his win today in the live rankings, currently sitting at number 126, which would be a new career high for the 25-year-old. He is now 31-20 in his last 52 weeks. But if you extend that to the start of the 2020 season, which you really need to with Rinderneck because of how great he was at the indoor challengers to start last year, he's now 47-24 and since the start of last season, winning two-thirds of his matches, a couple of challenger titles. You look for him in ATP-level matches during that stretch, 3-3 and overall, but 
I mean, got a couple of wins in Marseille earlier this year over Kukushkin and Davidovich Fokina before getting knocked out in three by Umber in Belgrade. Uh, last week, got a win over Juan Ignacio Landero before getting knocked out by Kasmenovic, and you look for him to get those wins on clay are critical for him because you look overall in his career. He's played, you know, fewer than 100 matches still on clay, but he's 45 and 30, which isn't as flashy as his 94 and 52 record on hard courts, but it speaks to the fact that his game style translate across surfaces. The big serve, you know, you look for him, his first serve uh, effectiveness, he's still winning over 70 uh, or 71% of his first serve points on clay versus 76% on hard courts, 51% of his second serves on clay versus 53 on hard courts. Now, his hold percentage does dip uh, from 87% to 79%, but his break percentage rises from 19.5 to 23.9%. In terms of total points won, he's you know still over the 50% mark, winning about 50 Uh, 0.5% versus 51.8 on hard courts. The point being, the numbers don't dip too much. His first serve is such a weapon that it's effective across surfaces. And then again, he's got the sort of pace on his ground strokes. He's going to be able to hit through any court, albeit slightly less effective. And again, the higher the level of competition on clay, the more time his opponent has to hit passing shots against him or, you know, attack Rinder next game. And when he gets stretched on clay, I suppose, uh, it's not his best skill set, but he is a better mover than you would think for a guy his size, sneaky fluid, and I think is going to sneak into the top 100. You look at all of the numbers, winning 66% of his matches since the start of 2020, all signs pointing upward. He's had success on the Challenger Tour. That success is now translating in early rounds of ATP level events. Shout out to former All-American Arthur Rinderneck, one of many players who is proving that the college tennis pathway, it works, folks. It really, really does. But that was one of your winners in Ostrava. Your other was Lucas Klein, who Damien and uh, Damien Kust and Jakob Babro talked about earlier in the week on a Great Shot podcast, 7-6-4-6-6-2 win over Lucas Rosal. Alex Mulcan uh, ends the... I suppose, I think, undefeated streak of Sebastian Baez. Maybe he had one loss at the Challenger Tour thus far this year when Baez unfortunately had to retire as he was cramping. Uh, 4-6-6-1-4-2 win for Mulcan to advance to the quarterfinals. Elias Emer, your other winner on the day, 6-1-6-2 over Sergei Stakovsky. That sets up tomorrow's second half of the round of 16. You've got Renzo Olivo versus Alejandro Tabilo, Gregoire Barrer versus Thomas Martin Echeverri, Mark uh, Pullman's versus Dennis Istaman, and then number three seed Benjamin Bonzi. Sneaky match of the day as he takes on young Czech wildcard Yuri Laheka. Laheka, one of the top former top ranked juniors in the world. Talented, talented fella. So if you've got some time tomorrow, be sure to check that match out, livestream.com slash ATP. That's challenger number one, challenger number two. The action in Rome in our match of the day, Tanasi Kokonakis, 6-7-6-3-6-4 win over Federico Gayo. We talked about this, and we talked about him extensively on the podcast, so I'll just point out here quickly. He's played four consecutive clay court challengers. He's made the quarterfinals now in three of those events, and I love the 
scheduling decision from Kokonakis. Go prove yourself on the European clay. We know how good he can be on hard courts. The clay a little bit easier on his body. And again, he's getting a ton of matches now here in the month of April as he tries to work his way back into the top 100. Currently sitting at 209 with his result here this week. Kokonakis, I believe, back into the top 200 indeed, number 199. One more win here this week gets him up to number 192. Was a good win for him. Three sets. Your other winners on the day, Gianessi, 6-2-6-4, Zepieri. 6463 and then Juan Manuel Serendolo who we also talked about in the podcast 6463 win over Alexandre Muller that sets up tomorrow's second half of the round of 16 where you're going to have Serdorusic versus Markora, Petrovic versus Caboli, Giustino versus Cem Ilkel, and then Pellegrino versus Andrea Colarini. Last but certainly not least, you've got our second consecutive challenger in Ecuador, where today we saw a couple of seeds get knocked out. Number four seed, El Tu Chilic knocked out by young Diego Agustin Tarante, 6-2-6-4. JC Aragoni, a 6-2-6-7-6-2 winner over number six seed wildcard, former USC Trojan, Roberto Quiroz to strike up another victory for the Who's here this season. Nicolas Yari, last week's winner in Ecuador, 6-2-6-4 win for him over Orlando Luz, Kevin King, Nicolas Maya, Camilo Hugo Carabelli, Gonzalo Villanueva, and Takun Wang, your other victors on the day in Ecuador. They're a little bit behind some of the other actions, so they're trying to play a little bit of catch-up tomorrow. All eight of your round of 16 matches scheduled for you college tennis fans out there. Emilio Gomez, Skander Mansouri, Kevin King, uh, JC Arizona, Aziz Dugas, all in action on the day. So five different matches with college tennis connections, of course. If you like big servers, you got Tim R- Van Richeven in action as well. Uh, should be a fun day of challenger tennis, certainly happening throughout the globe. And last but certainly not least, let's preview tomorrow's action happening in Madrid. We did have some final round of qualifying results uh, on Wednesday. Big win for Bernardo Parrish. She's played so many three-set matches of late. We've talked about it. I believe it's like 12 of her last 15 have gone three sets, and I think she's like 2-10 in those matches. But she gets a win over Polona Herzog, 6-4-5-7-6-4 to qualify for the main draws, number one seed uh, Anastasia Sevastova gets a one and five win over big hitting Marta Kostyuk. Nina Stoyanovich continues her momentum. She knocks out, I would say, a slightly winded after her first round qualifying match over Leila Fernandez, but still uh, on Aconia, 6 4 6 2. That's a good win. For Stojanovic, your other winners, Begu Mladenovic, who knocked out Potapova, Sigamund over Sasnovich, Tomjanovic over Xin Wang. Zidancic over Suesi, Masaki Doi over Kavinic, Kozlova, Zvonareva, Bogdan, your other winners on the day. That sets up uh, maybe the best first day of a first round of a Masters event, or I should say a 1,000-level event in recent memory. You look at these matches on the day. Let's just go up and down the board. I mean, Shelby Rogers, Ashley Barty, part uh, four here in the 2021 season. Barty 4-0 in her career against Rogers 3-0 here in 2021. Two of those came in Australia. One of them recently on the green clay in Charleston. You've also got Kvitova versus Buzkova. That's a very fun contract of styles, and certainly Kvitova, there were times she looked untouchable in Stuttgart, Buzkova going to have to, you know, certainly absorb, redirect that power, find ways to get Kvitova on her back foot, 
You've also got Muguruza Stevens, which was a rivalry that was very, very frisky in the mid 2010s or late, really 2010s. Muguruza Stevens, two and two overall, one and one on clay. You've also got Svitolina Teichman. Svitolina one and zero. Oh, she beat Teichman four and three, I think, in Strasbourg last year. But you know, Svitolina doesn't have the huge ground strokes, and if you don't have big weapons to hurt Jill Teichman with, she's going to one two you to death. She's going to move you around the court. That big lefty forehand that you know heavy topspin, heavy ankle on that shot to open up the down the line. She's comfortable moving forward, comfortable sliding on the surface. I continue to think Teichman is a dark horse candidate to make a run to the second week of the French Open. Anyways, she can prove it here now if she can knock off Svitolina here on Thursday. You've also got Putin save a Kanta. Putin save a, you know, Kanta 3-1 overall lead right now. She's 2-1 on clay, but the two haven't played since 2019. And if you're asking who's been better over the past, you know, 15 months, I think that answer pretty clearly is Putin save a. You've also got Bernardo Pera taking on Petra Martic. I'm going to say sneaky upset alert there. Martic 2-1 overall, but they're 1-1 one one on clay in their career. Haven't played since 2018. So that's another match to keep your eye on. I also think Paula Bedosa should bear who I declared a dark horse back in Charleston for the French Open. I got to keep track of all the dark horses I'm declaring. She's going to take on, I think it was Dubai finalist Barbara Krejcikova. You've also got Angelique Kerber taking on Von Drusova. Kiki Burton's continuing to work her way back uh, from injury as well. You know, but Mladenovic um, versus Bencic, Fiontech making her clay court debut this season against Ali Risk. Just up and down the board should be a fantastic day of tennis. And, you know, again, another day for all of us tennis fans to enjoy. And so, you know, with that in mind, that's our recap of Wednesday's action. If you have missed anything from throughout the tennis world, rest assured you can catch up on it all on our website, crackrackets.com, where this week we've had pieces from Damian Kust and David Gertler discussing Christian Guerin and Jensen Brooksby, respectfully. You also had my picks column on Tuesday. There will be another picks column published Thursday night, so be on the lookout for that. Of course, if you've missed anything from our Great Shot podcast of late, Challenger-themed episodes on Monday and Wednesday, college tennis-themed episodes to end the week here on Thursday and Friday, so be on the lookout for those. A couple of of uh, college tennis team crack interviews this week as well. I know uh, on Monday we released our conversation with Tennessee associate head coach James McKay. I'm recording it on Thursday. I believe it's going to be released Thursday afternoon as well. I'm having a conversation with uh, USC senior Riley Smith and I'm very much looking forward to. So be on the lookout for that to drop later in the day as well. But of course, again, as always, we will ask, like, rate, subscribe, review this show, that show, Cracked Interviews, Great Shot Podcast, all of the above, of course, share with your friends as well. If you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly, I am at Great Shot Pod. Shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Ligger and Danny Westoff, for the of an editing job they do day in, day out. Shout out as well to our friends at Midwest Sports. Go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15 to get 15% off your order. But with that in mind, for super producers Fligner and Westoff, for our friends at Midwest Sports, and for all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.